It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. I'm Hub Arkish, inviting you to kick off your football season right with Pro Football Weekly's Football Legends Live. One night only, Saturday, September 8th at 7 p.m. at the Rouse Center in Crystal Lake. It features Pro Football Hall of Fame legends Brian Erlacher, Mean Joe Green, Lawrence Taylor, Dan Hampton, Anthony Munoz, and Randy White, plus appearances from some of the greatest Bears to ever play on the Chicago Gridiron. Join the PFW crew and me for one unforgettable evening. Get tickets and info now at ProFootballWeekly.com for Football Legends Live. Saturday, September 8th, presented by Rumchata and Centegra Health System. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Pro Football Weekly Podcast. My name is Dan Mott, and we thank you for being with us once again this week. I'm alongside Arthur Arkish and Eric Edholm. Guys, we're trying out a video podcast this week, so I want to thank you guys for putting on some clothes this week. Dan's showering. I didn't shower, actually, but I am dressed. It's a shame the bosses didn't listen when we told them we really have uh, faces for podcasting, not for video podcasting, so... We, we apologize in advance. <laughs> well, if you are listening to us via iTunes or Blog Talk Radio, you can find the video version of this podcast over at profootballweekly.com. Guys, we have a lot to discuss today and the rest of the league's preseason game started up this week. We're taping this Friday morning, so there are a few games uh, Friday evening as well as Saturday evening. But nonetheless, guys, it was pretty a pretty fun start to the preseason, wouldn't you say, Arthur? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, Baker Mayfield debut. I know we'll talk about a little bit more. Uh, Shaquem Griffin, some great stories among this rookie class for sure. And then you had some healthy returns. I know Andrew Luck uh, was on Eric at home's radar. And uh, for, yeah, for preseason one, I was actually quite entertained Thursday night. How about you, Eric? I hated it. I absolutely despite. No, I didn't want to, didn't want to just uh, agree with everybody. Yeah, no, it was great. I mean, we had, we had action before kickoff. Even we had a little, uh, a little skirmish there with Cam, uh, Cam Newton, and, and Calvin Benjamin. We had uh, some pretty interesting stuff with the anthem stuff, and yeah, I mean, I, most preseason, you know, the real day one, not the the Hall of Fame game. I think everybody gets a little more excited, but we actually had some things that we can uh, talk about in a concrete fashion. Well, we'll get to more of these games and kind of break down some of these storylines later on in the show. Plus, we'll talk about the incentives uh, to Tom Brady's contract. We'll chat about the Hard Knocks premiere this week, some of the Vikings adversities, and other news from around the league. But uh, I know Eric just mentioned it. Guys, I want to start on the freshest news, which came across uh, my notifications this morning, and that is, you guessed it, more national anthem protesting news. Uh, We've been starting the show off the past few weeks uh, with back and forth on this this issue and how the league is handling it. 
And then following some players taking a knee during the preseason games, uh, our president reignited his feud with the NFL, blasting players on Twitter and suggesting the players should be suspended without pay. Eric, how do you suppose the league will end as the saga continues? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it, uh, the good news is that the talks with the uh, the players' union remain, uh, you know, they, they remain in contact and, and they're trying to hammer out a solution and, you know, it's it's obviously become a problem that they they've they've created themselves. The NFL has with this anthem policy that they thought was going to quiet Trump. All it's done, as you said, is kind of ignite him a little bit. You know, the players we're talking about right now, two thousand different players. You know, each of them maybe have a, a different view on this thing, or a different perspective, or a different approach to how they're going to going to address it. We did see two Dolphins players. You said Kenny Stills and Albert Wilson. Um, you know, participate in, in kneeling during the anthem and, um, you know, other, some Jaguars players uh, kind of, you know, showing their support for the movement and all that. So, you know, it's, it's a bit fractured. Some teams are doing one thing, others are doing another. And, um, and yet the NFL issues this statement kind of basically saying, you know, the policy still exists based on the way we rewrote it in May. However, at this time, we're not punishing anybody so nothing has really changed yet, but there's at least the hope that uh, you know they can come to some kind of agreement here. Um, Arthur, I know that there's been uh, uh, some scuffles earlier this week happening in Minnesota as wide receiver Stephon Diggs and cornerback Xavier Rhodes got into it earlier in the week and were barred from Wednesday's uh, afternoon practice. They returned on Thursday, and Diggs said, quote, Brothers argue, brothers fight, we go at it, but at the end of the day, we still love each other. Is there a real concern here, or can this be just chalked up to tempers flaring in the moment during hard practice? Dan, I have some concerns with the Vikings that I didn't have as recently as a few weeks ago, but they have nothing to do with Stephon Diggs and Xavier Rhodes going at it at practice. I'm guessing Rhodes just wasn't happy to see Stephon Diggs get $8 million more guaranteed uh, in that wide receiver contract than Rhodes got at this time last season. But no, those are two competitive dudes and two, you know, obvious uh, on their second contracts with the Vikings. They're two core uh, pieces of the puzzle. My concern and why I had teed this up as a, a, a something worth discussing is the offensive line issue for the Vikings right now uh, is troubling. It was troubling maybe to enter the season, but then uh, after the, the tragic passing of Tony Sperano and now some injuries, uh, their starting left guard Nick Easton just placed on injured reserve. Pat Elfline starting center still on the pup list. Right guard Joe Berger retired in the offseason. So that entire interior is in flux. And again, I get back to Tony Sperano because I've talked to some people who say the Vikings are going to miss him more. Of course, they're going to miss him. He died too soon. It was an unspeakable tragedy. I just mean from a football context that they're going to miss him more than anyone else that's uh, disappeared this offseason. And now when you throw in all these moving parts along the offensive line that he so masterfully handled last year in their great transformation, um, I've got some legit concerns when you look at what Kirk Cousins does uh, with the stable offensive line versus what he does when it's not quite as uh, uh, as secure. It's pretty telling. I wrote a column yesterday at Pro Football Weekly I'd like people to check out. Uh, but I'm just wondering if Minnesota's going to have a hard time uh, protecting their $84 million investment here. Eric, in New England, uh, they will add $5 million in performance-based incentives to quarterback Tom Brady's contract. Uh, by this weekend, a, a source told ESPN's Adam Schefter on Thursday. Uh, I mean, is this pocket change to, to Brady? I mean, do these incentives really entice him to stay in the league longer? Well, it's, it's $5 million. I don't care if uh, you're, you're EF Hutton or, or the uh, you know the, the guy selling hot dogs down the street. That's a lot of money. So, obviously, I think – 
you know, we're, we'll find out more details about the contract and everything. And, and basically incentives are done in, in two forms. There's likely to be earned, which is, let's say, starting 16 games, which Brady's done a lot, or unlikely to be earned, and the effect is on the cap. So obviously if they're filed under the unlikely to be earned, something like, you know, ranking in the top five in, in passing yards or something like that, um, and the NFL has these stipulations, that's going to affect next year's cap as opposed to this one. So this is a financial move, but, you know, more than anything, it, it kind of it reminds everybody that, the Patriots aren't on as bad terms, especially Brady and Belichick and Robert Kraft and whoever, as everybody may think they are. You've got Belichick giving Brady kind of extra rest during the preseason. Now, maybe he's had this little back injury that the Boston Globe's talking about. You have now the team giving Brady a $5 million bump to his salary, potentially. I mean, he may not earn every dollar of that. You have Belichick and, and Gronk uh, posing for pictures and, and smiles on their face. So, you know, I don't think we should make too much about the relations uh, between Brady and the Patriots or Gronk and the Patriots or Belichick and, and Kraft or any of that stuff. To me, that's sort of the biggest takeaway from this thing is that it sounds like Belichick has kind of met Brady halfway a little bit here, uh, and he's getting a nice potential little financial boon to, uh, to, to tack on top for all the stuff he's done for this team. Guys, I want to get into a little bit of uh, uh, hard knocks chatter. I know um, Eric at home wrote uh, a fantastic uh, piece on on uh, this week's premiere over at uh, ProFootballWeekly.com, and a lot to discuss. I think from from that show. Um, I know that uh, several uh, people who have have uh, written about it have just talked about how this is maybe one of the best uh, that we've seen in years. And uh, Arthur, I'll, I'll start with you, kind of on your takeaways from this. I know know that I, I really enjoyed this first episode and I, I've, I've watched uh, several of the past years and, and this one just stood out to me as just uh, just a really fun one to watch. Well, there's all these great built-in storylines, right? It, it, it's the Browns, of course, the punchline of the NFL, and you got Hugh Jackson coming back from 0-16, an arranged marriage with John Dorsey, who's clearly going to be kind of this odd uh, character on television, probably just like he is in real life. He's a little bit of a, a different, strange bird. Um, but then you got all these huge personalities in the top pick, Baker Mayfield, who doesn't even end up, as I think Eric put it, as like a top five storyline in, in bringing in his RV and the, the quarterback-only RV in the parking lot at the uh, Browns facility is great. Um, you got a couple, you know, maybe lesser-known dudes, Carl Nassib and uh, Carl Nassib, I believe it is, excuse me. And, um, you know, even Jarvis Landry, I know he got the big bucks and, and put up some big numbers and down in Miami, but I'm going to let Eric talk about the speech. He is now officially uh, a, hard, a hard knocks legend already one episode in. Um, and then again, I'm, I'm going to let Eric hit on it, but I just think the realism uh, in sort of the pulling back the curtain and seeing what these NFL players and coaches in particular uh, deal with, I thought hard knocks did just a tremendous job capturing that uh, in the first episode for sure. Yeah, I mean, Hugh Jackson is already embattled with this this unbelievable, you know, historically bad record, one in thirty-one. He loses his brother, you know, days before training camp, and then his mother dies during the the first few days of camp. You know, what an un unbelievable tragedy! Tragedy, two tragedies happen back to back. And oh, by the way, he's got to fix his football team. You know, people will have sympathy for him. There's no question about that. But he's also going to win. He's got to. He's in self-preservation mode. So. You can only imagine what is swirling through his head and, and the emotional roller coaster he's been through the last month or so. Uh, and, and to see it play out on the Hard Knocks camera. I mean, I, I wrote about how 
you know, Jackson was careful not to say too much about Josh Gordon's absence, and he was aware of the cameras at this point or that point. But in this moment, with his hands buried in, in his face, he, he just couldn't hold back. These were the rawest of emotions that I think we've, you know, almost ever seen on this show. And so, yeah, it's going to be fascinating this year. There's talk about Des Bryant visiting. We'll see that in a future episode, perhaps. You've got the whole Josh Gordon sideshow. Not sideshow, but I mean the, the side the story angle there. He's not in camp right now. Oh, by the way, Baker Mayfield, Tyrod Taylor, everything else that's going on, the Antonio Callaway story. You know, we had a – Corey Coleman was traded. We'll see that in episode two. So many story angles. We just – we can't wait to, to uncover all of them. And you're right. They played out well in the first preseason Eric, game. Uh, is this a, a real glimpse into this sort of, um, I guess, hard knock leadership that these coaches have to have for their players? And even in times when you have – I mean, just just horrible things happening in your life that you still got to hold it together for your team. Or I mean, is this just how Hugh Jackson needs to 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 handle this to get through this? Um, I just was curious in your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's no different from what Mike Zimmer's trying. Well, it's different, but I mean, it's the same sort of uh, vein of Zimmer trying to rally his team with the loss of a friend and a, and a mentor and a, and a fellow coach with Tony Sperano. It's same thing Bill Belichick did a decade ago when his father died in the middle of the season. You know, it's the same thing when, when Tony uh, Dungy's son died. You know, the, these are real-life moments that you can never prepare for. Coaches are always saying, you know, expect the unexpected. Well, look, <laughs> nobody can ever prepare for these situations. So it takes a really hard job coaching an NFL team and just – magnifies it that much more and and he's got a lot a young squad he's got a team that's in need of learning he's got a coaching staff that's been cobbled together there's just so much on Hugh Jackson's plate right now you have sympathy for his losses but you also have concern that that he and the rest of the staff are gonna be able to pull it all together and if I could just add to that, I think one more really good storyline that Eric just hit on a little bit, this coaching staff, perhaps maybe even Hughes replacement, some people think, in Todd Haley. And it only took about a half hour for us to see a little bit of headbutting and then Hugh making sure he tried to insert his dominance and then Todd Haley stepping back a little bit, uh, but probably thinking in his head. And Eric had a great point. Hugh almost, in Eric's review, he writes that maybe Hugh forgot for a bit of Todd Haley's a former head coach who actually whacked the Raiders back in 2013 when he was with the Chiefs. So John Dorsey and Todd Haley have a pre-existing relationship. Obviously, Hugh Jackson is the epitome of lame duck coach. I mean, all due respect for what he's dealing with personally, that's just a fact football-wise. And really fascinating to see already uh, the back and forth, this dynamic involved in the episode as well. Arthur, are you uh, are you using any kind of uh, financial advice from uh, – uh, what's his name that was uh, up up there giving giving all this financial advice to these guys during the uh, the practice? I'm not. No. Uh, well, a I don't I don't have that type of money to just sit and put in a checking account and hope that uh, his funny math seems to add up. That's Carl Nassib, the second year, maybe third year defensive end for the Browns. But no, he was a uh, a surprising star of the episode with all of his f bombs and his. Uh, just again, ridiculous math trying to be a, a financial uh, advisor to his teammates. So um, I'll keep listening, um, but I think I'm going to seek my financial advice elsewhere. At least I can say that thus far. Bro, it's crazy. That's what he said. Bro, you just put your money in, you get 10% compound interest every year, man. We're going to be billionaires. I mean, <laughs> if you didn't enjoy that part of the show, I, yeah, I, I worry about uh, 
you know, whatever lithium you've been fed recently, because that was great stuff. It was pretty funny. Hey, I got to ask you, though, Eric, the, the defensive end, the colorful one that we expected to see, I would imagine, is Miles Garrett. He's yeah. going to come out of his shell, right? I mean, he's got a big personality. We didn't see much of it in the first episode. Yeah, other than the little, uh, you know, one-on-one session with Willie McGinnis, I can't remember too much from him. I'm sure yeah. the, you know, this was carefully edited and, and they're they're holding some stuff back. You know, I know HBO will do you know, pre-interviews with some of the players and follow them around off the field and stuff like that. Yeah, the, the coolest thing we saw on, on the defensive side of the ball was Christian Kirksey, who on the one hand, he's trying to step up as a team leader. On the other, he's blowing off steam by playing the drums and playing them well. Like, this dude could play. He's actually a good musician. So, you know, maybe Kirksey is the guy that, that we should have been sort of keyed in on before this show instead of Garrett. Who knows? But Garrett is a a colorful and intelligent young man. I'm looking forward to seeing more about him. And Kirksey, of course, an underrated, a lesser-known player, and now we're finding out for the first time about those skills behind the kit. Guys, lastly, because we all watch it, we probably all have a personnel, uh, uh, excuse me, a take on it, Jarvis Landry's speech, uh, epic, regardless of how you, you know, which way you view it. Um, but I'm curious to know what you guys think. Is that leadership? Is that someone stepping in uh, too soon and, and coming on a little too strong? What did each of you think about him kind of taking over that wide receiver room and, uh, and letting it be known how he felt about players missing practice without serious injuries? Yeah, I mean, Dan, it was kind of a more impassioned version of what Todd Haley and Hugh Jackson were arguing about, which is, why do we have so many guys taking days off? We're, we're an 0-16 team. We were 1-15 the year before. You know, this thing is not going to turn itself around. So I understand the sentiment of it. I wonder, you know, would that, have, would that speech have happened had there not been hard knocks cameras there? I don't know. But Jarvis Landry, you know, they, they had a great edit of it where they said, you know, he's explaining, that's not really me. I'm not really an outspoken guy. Well, <laughs> you know, he came strong and, and sent a message to his fellow receivers one of which, you know, isn't there anymore in, in Corey Coleman. He got traded. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's just fascinating. I don't know. Somewhere in there, we also saw a glimpse of uh, a couple players standing on the sideline acknowledging the fact that Hugh Jackson was looking at him. And he, it, was, it was almost inaudible. He was, he was, uh, they, they, were, they were whispering it to each other because he's like, I know he's looking at me. I know he's looking at me. And he's, I think it, Hugh Jackson at some point said something along the lines of, you know, you guys are standing over there having a tea party. And, um, you know, it's in, 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 this, in this franchise, when you have lost as many games as this team has lost in the last two seasons, somebody has to get fired up like that. And, and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt that there's going to be more of that because the mentality needs to shift on this team. And these guys need to believe that they're going to win in any way possible. Arthur, what do you got? And look, I believe one of those dudes was Denzel Ward, the number four overall pick, not named Bradley Chubb. Remember, at the time of that selection, a lot of people wondered, um, you know, they surprised a lot of folks by not taking Chubb in that spot. Demarius Randall was the other cat. Um, yeah, fascinating stuff. Uh, Hugh also tried to very gently nudge uh, Baker Mayfield to getting an earlier start to his days alongside Tyrod Taylor, uh, asking Baker why he wasn't, you know, there uh, burning the, the, well, I guess up first thing in the morning is a better way of putting it. Uh, Baker didn't have much of a response. I'm sure that's another kind of theme we'll be following uh, in this season, and it really is off to a terrific start, Dan. A couple other uh, just fun little things that they that they showed but didn't really – 
talk much on. Uh, one was right at the beginning. You saw um, you saw Nick Chubb just standing around there waiting for his bags while like three people came to pick up Baker Mayfield. And I think you see that distinction between uh, the the first round pick and and how you know how much they were they were uh, you know giving giving him the VIP treatment and uh, Nick Chubb standing there just just annoyed that people were. We're asking him these questions. They barely knew who he was, and uh, nobody was there to help him with his bags or anything like that. Um, you also, I loved the uh, the Blessum uh, Jarvis Landry Blessum segment, um, and just seeing him uh, telling that to everyone, and and uh, and then explaining why uh, he's using that uh, that term, um, and and also the powerful message I think at the very beginning as well. Uh, with LeBron's banner coming down and really establishing this is this is the Brown city to win over. Um, LeBron is gone. I don't think there's really any focus any longer on, on the Cavaliers, and I'm sure Cavaliers fans will say, shut up <laughs> to me on this side. But, uh, you know, I, I think that this really is, um, you know, the, the Brown's uh, city to take over and, and to really, you know, maybe get their own banner put up onto that building as uh, as the, the city's favorite. Yeah, I mean, if they get second place in the AFC North this season, I think they, they deserve that banner. I mean, I they still have a long way to go, but I've been, I'm encouraged by this team. And, and you can see the difference between last year's roster and this year's. They're, they have made improvements, and, and they have added reinforcements. They have two quarterbacks. Look at – the way Tyrod Taylor performed uh, Thursday night. Look at the way Baker Mayfield performed Thursday night. When was the last time we could say we're actually encouraged by the performance of two Browns uh, quarterbacks? In, in you know, it's early, but still, there's something being built here, uh, and and maybe that 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 building facade will get their Browns uh, banner at some point. And, and you're right; it's just a critical time in, in the in the city's uh, you know mental sports well being, I guess. And, and this is going to be just so much fun to watch out. Arthur, any other final takes on uh, this week's episode? Not really, but I think it makes for a good segue if we want to talk a little bit about the Browns' preseason opener because it couldn't have been more exciting. So I know we'll go there next, but yeah, good call on the, the symbolism at the top. Uh, what a you know. A, a, there's never a perfect time, I think, to watch your the, the prodigal son of the city leave, but uh, at least the Browns finally seem to be, uh, you know, creating some positive, uh, you know, vibes or whatever for the first time in forever, just as LeBron breaks everyone's hearts by disappearing. Well, Arthur, I'm glad you mentioned that segue. Uh, I, I do want to get to uh, some some of the first preseason games that were played this week and, and kind of get your guys' uh, takes on a few storylines that stood out uh, to you. And, Arthur, let's start with you. I mean, what are what are some of the things that you uh, recognized uh, that, that really stood out in, in these uh, opening uh, preseason games? Well, Eric just alluded to it. The Browns have not one but two quarterbacks now, and that is something, obviously, for this organization. Uh, Tyrod Taylor came in. You know, he's he's known as the more conservative dude, but perfect five for five, a, a perfect passer rating of 158.3 in his two series, and, and he, uh, you know, puts the exclamation point on it with a pretty – uh, passed on the seam for a touchdown to, to David Njoku. So uh, a, a good mix. You didn't see Tyrod have to use his legs much yet. We know he can do that. But good to see him push the ball downfield a little bit in his uh, in his Browns debut. Then Baker comes out there, and, and that's all he's doing is pushing the ball downfield. This dude is looking for the big play at all times. And that might have been the most encouraging aspect of his debut for me. It's his ability to – 
uh, be in and out of the pocket, uh, the pocket sense and the pocket presence to avoid trouble, but always still to be looking downfield. That's something that you can't teach and that young players don't normally have right out of the gate. So Baker had some big-time conversions, a third and 18, a fourth and two, did it with his arm and his legs, uh, and just really exciting stuff. And, and Eric, what about this burgeoning rapport? It appears with Antonio Callaway. Uh, I can't remember what round the controversial rookie out of Florida went in, but it looks like that dude is going to command an early role uh, as explosive and as athletic as he is. Yeah, special talent. You know, everybody, you know, knew about him in 2016 in Florida. He didn't play last season in college football because of multiple off-the-field incidents, and, and, including, and there was also a positive drug test from the, uh, from the combine. So it was, it was terrible timing for him to get pulled over with – Probably what's a minor offense in, in the big picture, possession of marijuana in his car, a very small amount. But the fact that he didn't tell the team about it, just showed up to practice and, and acted as if everything was cool, is not the kind of maturity that they're hoping for him. But the play on the field, it was obvious. I mean, his talent, they traded up for him in round four, you know, probably would have been a top 50 selection had he had no, uh, you know, red flags character-wise. So, you know, everyone's known about him. He's got some some Deshaun Jackson-like juice. I don't know if he's that quite that type of, you know, take the top off the defense guy, but he has got some, some real um, fire to him as a player. He's a little bit small, but if he can keep his nose clean and convince the coaches that he's accountable, this is absolutely one of their three best weapons on offense, and that's assuming Josh Gordon is there. He has a 57-yard touchdown early in the fourth quarter from Baker to Callaway, a catch and run. Uh, good stuff. David Njoku had two touchdowns, one each from Tyrod and Baker, so very encouraging start to his sophomore season. And uh, some funny uh, – there was a funny uh, sort of anecdote before the game and that Des Bryant, apparently, John Dorsey said he's interested in visiting with Des if Des will return his phone calls. Dorsey says he's not heard from him. Uh, Des said he's going to start taking his visits next week and the Browns are at the top of the list. I'm wondering in my head, if the Browns feel like they can count on Josh Gordon, if this is going to be the David and Joku they have in year two, even after trading Corey Coleman, do they really need Des Bryant? I'm not so sure, um, but I guess that w- certainly it would, uh, it, w- it would beef up hard knocks to another level, that's for sure, uh, as this summer continues. We'll have to follow what happens with Brian and the Browns. Yeah, I think they're interested at a certain level. I mean, obviously, if, if the financial demands are too high, it's, it's probably not going to be something they're interested in, but – you know, you figure Landry in the slot, Callaway on one side, Dez on the other. Don't forget, Dez Bryant is a ferocious run blocker, too. They've got Carlos Hyde, Nick Chubb, you know, Duke Johnson as well. You know, I could, I could see it making some sense. If Dez is going to expect to catch 85 balls for, for 1,200 yards, it's not going to happen. I just don't see it, you know. But um, after that, the depth really does seem to drop off. You've got Coleman traded. You've got what Jeff Janis uh Richard Higgins you know I can't think of too many other guys who have a real sh- shot of making this team if Brian is on board so you know he'd kind of be that number two slash number three guy and it might make some sense if uh you know it also like you said would, would crank up the volume on hard knocks make this a fascinating team personality wise and you know just so many interesting characters all of a sudden Guys, on the opposite side of the ball, uh, you got Saquon Barkley's opening 39-yard run on his first carry, plus avoiding three tackles, uh, which in my opinion, that, that, I mean, that was fun to watch. Arthur? 
Yeah, no question about it. Uh, just made someone look silly in the backfield and then made Demarius Randall look even worse as he got the corner on him. Randall was not ready and took a really bad angle. Um, but I thought, Eric, we were exchanging messages on Slack last night as we were writing, uh, and he really hit the nail on the head. Uh, Barkley is a guy who can uh, go 100 yards on any play. I think he said go 108 or whatever he did at the Combine. Uh, but his other five carries last night went for a, a, combined, a combined five yards. So uh, still has a little bit of that all-or-nothing reputation he's going to have to shake. Uh, Eric, what else did you take away from, from Barkley and maybe Will Hernandez, what we saw from the Giants? Yeah, I mean, that Barkley was in college. You'd watch him. He'd have a one-yard run, a three-yard run, a minus one, a 10-yard run, a one-yard run, and then he'd break a 60-yarder. And that's what he was. He was a home run hitter. I mean – you know, that's what I think is going to gonna be in the NFL, too. And we saw that a little bit from guys like, you know, Kenyon Drake last season and, and uh, Leonard Fournette was that guy last year. He had a couple of 90-yard runs, and, and his rushing average was still relatively low. So, obviously, yeah. it's going to be imperative for him to get those seven- and eight-yard gains, you know, or, or turn a one-yard gain into a five-yard gain and those kind of runs. But – there's no question when he sees daylight, he is a special, special player. I just think there has to be this, you know, he, he, he's going to bat about 225, but his slugging percentage is going to be through the roof. That makes, you know, a little baseball uh, metaphor there. And that's kind of the player he was at Penn State two times. And what's going to help him, obviously, guys, is being on the same field with Odell, Evan Ingram, Sterling Shepard. Defenses are not going to be able to put eight dudes in the box regularly because uh, then they're just going to get burned by one of these other guys. So uh, I imagine that's going to help his efficiency a little bit. But, yeah, it'll be fun to track him and see if he can improve that efficiency and, and also still have those big plays. Eric, how about any other storylines coming out of some of these other games we saw uh, earlier this week? Well, I mean, the biggest one – one of the biggest ones for me football-wise was Andrew Luck and his return to the field and, you know, led two scoring drives, was out there for 15, 16 plays, whatever it was. And, you know, the best thing about it, I mean, did he did he have seven-step drops and chuck the ball all over the place? No, but we saw some important stuff. They went empty, you know, and, and gave him a five-man protection. That That shows a level of trust from Frank Reich that, okay, you know, we can, we can let our quarterbacks see a little pressure and not be scared of it. You know, on, on one play, Andrew Luck dropped back, scrambled, got hit by Bobby Wagner, one of the best linebackers in the league, popped right up and looked, uh, you know, no different than he did before the hit. So that's those are great signs if you're a Colts fan. Six and nine passing, looked to be in rhythm, especially that first drive. I thought it looked really good. So, you know, that was, a, to me, an A-plus beginning for, for, uh, for what we saw out of Andrew Luck. And yet it's about step number four out of out of – you know, 28. I mean, he's still got a long way to go, but if you keep stacking productive practices, good preseason, uh, you know, performances where he's not getting hurt, that, that's outstanding. He got hit on the shoulder too. This is the shoulder that has given him all this trouble and caused him to, to not play real football games for almost 600 days. So I thought that was huge. Deshaun Watson got his feet wet last night as well, Thursday night. So this is, there was a lot of good news health-wise. A couple of, you know, we saw Darius guys get hurt. He looks to be okay, we think. A couple other players. But for the most part, Thursday night didn't provide much in the way of, of bad injury news, and especially for, for uh, guys like Andrew Luck. How about you, Arthur? 
Yeah, that, that was a, a good summary for sure. Just a couple of the other young quarterbacks and new offenses. It sounds like Marcus Mariota fared pretty well the first time out um, out there with uh, you know under Mike Vrabel and of course the the cat that comes over from the Rams, whose name is for some reason Matt escaping me. Right now. Yeah, thank you, thank you, Eric. Uh, sounded like that was a, a good first glimpse of uh, of Mariota in that offense, and then uh, Pat Mahomes I think did okay. Andy Dalton shredded the Bears' first team offense uh, with Bill Lazor's kind of recalibrated attack there, and on the flip side, Mitch Trubisky and the Bears' first team offense uh, didn't look so good at all. But these will be things we're going to uh, want to continue to track. Dak Prescott looked pretty good. That's the same offense, but it was a good start for him in a very small sample size. Um, so, you know, just watching how guys are uh, assimilating in new schemes or with their new playmakers, uh, I think is what it's all about in the preseason beyond staying healthy, of course. And then just one more feel-good rookie story, Shaquem Griffin. I mean, if people are going to get tired of this, then that's too bad because I'm going to keep talking about it. It is just absolutely amazing. Uh, the kid had a game-high nine tackles last night, played a bunch, and uh, everyone knows the story at this point. The Central Florida one-handed linebacker, the Seahawks draft him and pair him with his twin brother, uh, Shaquille, uh, draft him in round five, and he looks like he's going to have an early role, and, and who better to learn behind them, Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright, and uh, on Pete Carroll with Pete Carroll on that defense. Just, uh, I think, a really good landing spot for Shaquem uh, and a really good first introduction on the NFL stage. A couple other things that uh, I had on my list that, that I, I took notice last night or, or Thursday nights uh, in Thursday night's games. Um, the first one would be uh, the, uh, the, the Kyle Fuller pick six against Andy Dalton. Um, and I think we talked about this uh, several times over on the PFW Chicago podcast in that this, this Bears secondary um, is really um, shining uh, you know, pretty bright, and, and and for the first time in in several years, I think that uh, you know it's it's fun to get excited about uh, a Bears secondary and to see Kyle Fuller have that pick six and, and return it. Um, that was fantastic. And then as an NIU guy, uh, to see Green Bay Packers running back Joel uh, Bonio uh, to, to rush for a one-yard touchdown during Thursday night's preseason matchup with the Titans and then go in and do a Lambo leap. Um, again, it was just for one yard, but uh, you know. It was a, a sort of a feel-good uh, story just from a, a fellow NIU alum to, to see that uh, that happen as well. So those were just a couple other things that I noticed. Anything uh, anything else, guys? Any other thoughts uh, from these preseason games? Well, if we're talking, uh, you know, notable alumni, Marcus Murphy for the uh, Buffalo Bills, I confess I didn't even realize he was still in the league. But, uh, yeah, my old uh, Mizzou guy, Murphy, was a, one of my favorite players there. He had a nice night. And speaking of the Packers, you know, t- Tim Boyle, the quarterback up there, we, you know, we talk about obviously Aaron Rodgers, but, you know, really it's going to come down to who's going to win between Hunley and Deshaun Kaiser. They have a fourth quarterback there by the name of Tim Boyle. If you had asked me two years ago if Tim Boyle had any shot of making the NFL, having watched him at UConn, he once went 13 games between passing touchdowns. I mean, you know, you just you can't do that. He had two in his preseason debut. He threw for 130 yards, granted, you know, against third and fourth stringers. But, I mean, I, I was just shocked that, A, he was even in the, in the NFL, and, B, that he played as well as he did. So, uh, I was wrong. Tim, good, good, good job on you. Anytime we want to say that preseason football is meaningless, I think those were great examples, guys. The uh, the Lambo leap from the NIU alum and, and Tim Doyle, this might be the only chance a lot of these players get uh, and, and that makes for great stories, too, just watching them either seize the opportunity or, or whatever else might happen. Uh, preseason football can be entertaining, too. I think we're finding that out. 
Well, guys, that'll do it for this week's edition of the Pro Football Weekly Podcast. Of course, there's a few more games this week that we'll probably touch on next week. Uh, We have a few event reminders, guys. Uh, I know that uh, Eric and Arthur know all about these. Uh, We want to let you all know about them. The first one being August 27th. If you are in the Chicago area, we are having a live remote event, which will be on Facebook Live as well out at La Barra Restaurant. Uh, So that's La Barra Restaurant, uh, 3011 Butterfield Road in Oak Brook, Illinois. That will be at 6 p.m. and there'll be a fantasy draft party where uh, guests will host their fantasy drafts after the broadcast. So come on out for great food and drink there. Our whole Pro Football Weekly crew will be out there. So if you're in the Chicago area, come on out and and check that out. And as we've been talking for the last couple weeks, we have a huge event coming up Saturday, September 8th at the Rouse Center for the Arts in Crystal Lake, Illinois. Join Pro Football Weekly for Football Legends Live presented by Rum Chadas and Sintegra Health System. It'll feature Pro Football Hall of Famers Brian Erlacher, Mean Joe Green, Lawrence Taylor, Anthony Munoz, Randy White, and Dan Hampton, along with MCs Pat Boyle and Dave Kaplan, plus the Pro Football Weekly crew like Arthur and Eric. Tickets are on sale now at ProFootballWeekly.com, so be sure to get yours today. As always, a big thanks to Umphreys McGee for the use of our theme song, Out of Order. You can find them on iTunes, so go and check them out as well. I want to thank you once again for listening, and for Eric Edholm and Arthur Arkish, I'm Dan Mott, and we'll talk to you next week. Take care, everyone. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.